Hello, I'm Kate Freeman, and this is The Daily Dollop. The Daily Dollop podcast is proudly brought to you by The Capital Chemist, Australia's premium community pharmacy where loyalty matters. On this episode of The Daily Dollop, I'm chatting to the very wise and knowledgeable Dr. Tim Crow, a career researcher and educator in the field of nutrition. We're discussing nutrition misinformation and myths and how you can make the right food choice for you. Here's part one. Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's a great day on the podcast as I'm chatting to, in my mind, a nutrition great. I have Dr. Tim Crow on the show, whom I admire very much, and I was absolutely delighted when he agreed to be a guest. So Tim is a career research scientist and educator, with most of this spent in the area of nutrition. He has a Bachelor of Science with honours, a Master's of Nutrition and Dietetics, and a PhD. He's also a credentialed, advanced, accredited practicing dietitian with Dietitians Australia. So I first met Tim in my postgraduate degree at Deakin Uni, and he was teaching this excellent subject called diet and disease, which was my favourite. And um, I'm, I'm sucking up to you, Tim, but he was just the best of all of my lecturers. Okay, this is kind. <laughs> <laughs> and I've gone on to follow his work online after that, and not in a creepy stalker way, but in a very professional, sensible way. But hi, Tim. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Kate, that is a, a very kind and a very humbling introduction. Thank you so much. And, and thank you for the invitation to be in your podcast. You're doing fantastic work with keeping the episodes going out and so fresh with so many different topics. So I'm really pleased to be having a, a chat with you today. Awesome. Me too. So in true Daily Dollop style, do you have a fun fact that you'd like to share with everyone? So obviously not nutrition related. My fun fact would be uh, in my, my uni days, I played in a, in a uni band. I was a rhythm guitarist uh, for oh, a couple cool. of years in a, in a band and I still play today, but I've, I've left the I've left the bright lights and stage. <laughs> I mean, normally any bright lights and stage is normally a, a nerdy scientific conference for me nowadays. But yeah, that's that's my guitar band days well, back, at, back in uni. That's so fun. Do you find yourself picking it up to play every now and then? Yeah, I play I play every day. Yeah, oh, amazing. I yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just keep it going. Yeah, so I really enjoy it. So I just do it for my own fun and pleasure at the moment and something has nothing to do with nutrition, which yeah. is nice at times. I agree. It's nice to have something else that's not food-related in your life 100%. I had a fun fact that I wanted to share but I wanted you to hear it and it's a bit of a funny story and it's me sort of fangirling you a little bit and I apologise for the awkwardness of that. So I followed you online, obviously, since I met you in diet disease all those years ago. And you often online shared great um, articles and posts and pieces of research and things like that. But other pieces of content that other dietitians and nutritionists would pull together and you would sort of reshare it and say, you know, this is a great read or this is a great summary of X, Y, Z. And I used to think one day I'm going to write something really intelligent that Tim will like and share. And then and then I think it was 2015, I made this really silly video and wrote a blog about removing the calories from Easter chocolate. And the paleo trend back yep. then was in full swing. And I coined the phrase, throw your Easter eggs into the bush because if you <sighs> have to hunt and gather them, they're paleo. Um, and of all the things I've written over the years... <laughs> 
that was the post that you shared. And I just remember thinking, I was like, I always wanted to write something like really intelligent and smart. Anyway, but I loved it. Oh, I remember day. that and it went gangbusters. It, it yeah. just got heaps of great engagement on my Facebook page. And I remember it because it, it was so good. It was so fun. It was funny. It was on trend. It was seasonal yeah. and it was a, taking a bit, a bit of the mickey out of Pablo at the time, which was an, an easy target. <laughs> it was an easy target. It went on to take a life of its own. The meme popped up in US, like you know how radio stations often post memes or funny things. It popped up on US pages and it just sort of took on this life wow. of its own. Viral. You went viral. Oh, crazy viral. Take. Yeah, but no one knew it was me. <laughs> robust scientific analysis of some latest research. No, it was just no. a, a little bit of comedic, lighthearted entertainment. Yeah. So um, I'm the paleo Easter egg lady. <laughs> anyway, enough about me. I'd love to start just um, the the series of chatting to you um, and just hearing more about yourself, like your career in nutrition. You've obviously been doing it a really long time now. Yeah, so just share a little bit about your journey and where you started and where you come from and what you do now. Oh, sure. I'm happy to give you the, the one-minute summary. My, my, <laughs> I define my whole career as being a, as a, as a nerd. That, that's it. I, I studied science at university. I, I worked in a laboratory. I studied nutrition and dietetics. I went into academia for 16 years. So most of my focus has been about the research, either doing the research or actually communicating it and critically analysing it. And I'm still in that space today, even though I work as a as a freelance health and medical writer, it's always going to be, you know, informed by the latest research. So uh, most of my career has been in nutrition, obviously academia at Deakin, Deakin University, meeting such wonderful students such as yourself, which which I love doing. I love the education side of it. But now I get to do the things I really, really love doing, and that's the communication side of nutrition, be it through my writing work, through, through my podcast, through media, through conferences. All of it is about talking about nutrition and trying to make it I was going to say understandable, but less confusing would probably be the right word because nutrition seems pretty basic to, you know, most people. You, know, you eat and we all eat, have our, have our food preferences and food does different things to us. And broadly, unless you're a down, you know, a very crazy rabbit hole, most people know that a healthy diet is going to be mostly plant foods and, you know, not full of junk food. And that's probably the core of what healthy eating is like. But, you know, there is a lot of debate about what is the best way to eat, what um, role the different foods and nutrients play in health. And that's where the confusion comes in. And I, I know we'll touch upon that later on in the chat about why it's so confusing. But in the end, the communication side of it is why, what I do is not to make it as confusing and to get some broad guidance. People can make some informed decisions on themselves without being dogmatic and saying, this is the way you have to eat. Mm. Because that's really not the case. There's thousands of different ways you can eat that can be considered healthy. And there's more to life than food as well. Yeah. And nutrients. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I've often said that and which has always felt weird as choosing this to be my career, a nutritionist, and then saying to clients, food is not the be all and end all in life. Like it's just one tool to do life well and then just move on, like to find what makes you happy and do other yep. things. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and then I'd be like, no, oh, I chose this as a career. Um, but anyway, I actually, you probably might relate to this. Our team often joke that we have master's degrees to tell people to eat more vegetables. <laughs> uh, that's it. I uh, <laughs> oftentimes I sat mid thought during a, during a lecture of you know, getting immersed in some metabolic biochemistry. And I just have times have taken a step back and gone, you know, everything you need to know in your degree for the general population is just eat more, more fruits and vegetables, <laughs> more plant foods. You know, if you want, have some dairy foods, if you want, have a bit of meat, if you want, but Get the basics right, and that's pretty much the cornerstone of prevention of most chronic diseases for the nutrition component. Yeah. Everything else is noise around the edges. Yeah, absolutely. So it sort of leads me into my next question and the really 
core thing I wanted to chat to you about is why do you think nutrition information has become so confusing? I mean, we, we have so much knowledge now. Nutrition's really maturing as a science. You know, there's lots of information, but yet it seems like we're more and more confused about how to eat rather than mm. more confident. Why do you think that is? Well, you're absolutely right. I think it's more confusing nowadays than it was in the past. And that's because of the amount of voices that that, that crowd into the space. Now, mm. everybody eats. Everybody is an expert in their own nutrition. Absolutely. But just because you've eaten in a certain way and you've got some results doesn't then make you an expert. Like just because you've watched an episode of ER doesn't make you a, you know, a brain surgeon. And just because you've um, really good at flying a, a flight simulator on your Xbox doesn't mean you can fly a plane. If you know anyone, if there was help with called out for, and it's the same in nutrition, but it's quite seductive in nutrition. It seems very easy. I oh, just eat clean, just eat organic, don't eat processed foods, and that's it. Well, it's yeah. much more complex. As you get involved in area, you realise it's not as simple as what you think. But one of the biggest reasons for confusion in nutrition is the quality of research that we have. Now, this is coming from a research nerd who is very attached to research, but as the years have gone on, I realised that our evidence base is not as strong as what we would like it to be Mm. because a lot of the big questions in nutrition have to be answered by observational research. And that's where you get large groups of people and you follow them for decades and look at their diet and their lifestyle and the, the prevalence of disease, sorry, the incidence of disease. They're great, but there are so many confounding issues in that because we can't do randomized controlled trials to find out if a if a vegan diet really does lower the risk of cancer, you know, we can't do randomised controlled trials in a lot of health and lifestyle factors. We have to use observational research. And you get all sorts of crazy things when you do observational research. And then for the media, if you have a, a headline or you have a, a research article that's very different to all of the opposing research, then that will get headlines for the day. Because yeah. you'll never see a headline saying nutritionists confirm for the 475th time that eating (laughs) lots of fruit and vegetables lower your risk of cancer. But if one study comes out tomorrow to find, hey, researchers in in Belgium found that people that ate the most um, um, organic produce had a high risk of cancer, that would be headline. In fact, it might just be some spurious observation, which in fact, it would be some spurious confounding issue. But that gets the headlines because it's different. You know, it's it's conflict, it's confusion, it's crisis, it's controversy. All the all the big C's, the media, uh, <laughs> yes. and, cl- and clickbait, of course. That, yep. That's another one. So that's another issue. Another one, of course, is the diversity of views. You can find a case for any food or any nutrient, either causing or preventing a disease. You get a name by cherry picking research. Yeah. And people that do that the best generally have a book to write. They have an opposing viewpoint. They want to get clicks. They want to get traffic. They want to sell product. And that model works really well, Mm. cherry picking. And then there's conflict of interest. Now, as soon as you say that, people think, oh, yes, because the the dairy industry funded research or the meat industry funded research. Well, big plant, big broccoli, big almond, big avocado fund just as much research as other industry groups. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean research is fraudulent. It just means that as an industry group, you, of course, you will fund research that is more likely to give a positive finding. Hence, you can see an overrepresentation of research if it's mostly coming from one particular corporate dollar. Mm. But even researchers who are closely aligned to a, a books, selling books and a social media presence may find it hard to, to do an about face when conflicting research comes along. And that's called being human beings. We don't like to <laughs> say, that, say that we're wrong and change our viewpoint. So that, yeah. that's a bit of a, a rough view of why nutrition is confusing, mm. which is why I look at the trends of the last 
decades and they have not changed very much. That's why our dietary guidelines don't change too much apart from some wording. Fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, whole grains, not a lot of junk food. There we go. There's your nutrition degree again. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, 100%. It's funny actually, you know, start doing my undergrad, I did it straight from year 12. So I think I graduated from that 17 years ago or something. It's such a long time ago. But just having been in nutrition so long now and just seeing all the you must find this, all the fad diets and the myths and them all come and go, you know, like paleo came and went. Now we're dealing with a bit of keto, intermittent fasting and time-restricted feedings, a bit cool at the moment. And I'm finding it just fascinating just watching also celebrities have different viewpoints and then changing face as the trends change to, you know, as well. Change the trends, change your mind and and you will you know, move with your audience. And you're very right. If you stay in this business long enough, as you and I have been, you see them, the trends coming in and out of fashion, just like clothes. Yeah. Yeah. And they just like sort of tweak it slightly, you know, just to give it a new little face or. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, you know, back in the early 2000s, everyone was on the Atkins diet. Yes. No, no one really does Atkins now, but but then Atkins moved to just low carb. Yeah. Then paleo came along, but paleo only lasted one or two years. And then it then it rebranded into keto. Mm. In a couple of years' time, there'll be another variant of a low-carbohydrate diet. Mm. Now, I'm not going to say if it's good or bad that you follow that sort of diet, but it's just rebranding of the same name. Now, if it really lived up to all the promise and hype, then clearly, well, we shouldn't need these new diets because everyone was, would have been following them and you know, losing weight and curing diabetes and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, you only get a small percentage of people who get success on them, just like most sort of dietary changes, only a small percentage of people get some really good long-term results from it. Yeah. That's it for today's episode. Tune in for part two tomorrow. A big thank you to the Capital Chemist and the Daily Dollop in crowd for their continued support of our show. We couldn't do this without them. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you love what you're hearing, please leave us a review. 